Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Good evening and welcome to one of the greatest celebrations all month, the Lord's Supper. We love this time, don't we? Before we take the Lord's Supper, would you open your Bibles tonight to Hosea chapter 4. Now we've been getting to know a long lost friend named Hosea. Or perhaps you're getting acquainted for the first time with this guy. You know, the, the 12 minor prophets are sort of like distant cousins that you meet at a family reunion. They've always been there. You're just kind of getting to know exactly who they are. You know, we carry them around with us whenever we carry our Bibles, so we ought to know what they say. Well, Hosea is a broken-hearted prophet who loved a hard-hearted woman. Sounds like a country song, doesn't it? (laughs) All we have to have is Hosea's dog die and something else, and you'd have a a complete song. But chapter 4 introduces a new section, and I hope you've been with us the last couple weeks because we've noted that chapters 1, 2, and 3 deal on a personal level. Hosea's own background, his broken family life, what a tragedy that was, and how brokenhearted he truly was. But now chapter 4 introduces a new section. We're not going to read all, but we're going to read portions of a couple chapters tonight. Because now the prophet goes from private ministry, his own life, to public ministry. He's acting more like a lawyer, an attorney, a prosecuting attorney. So it's like the court is in session and the attorney for the prosecution named Hosea is bringing charges to the nation of Israel. There was a woman who came to a lawyer and she wanted a divorce from her husband. So she said, I need your advice. I figure you could give it to me. I want to divorce my husband, but I want to, I want to do more than that. I really want to hurt the guy. He said, well, probably just the divorce is going to hurt enough. She said, no, 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 you don't understand. I not only want the money, but I want to make sure he suffers when I divorce him. Lawyer thought about it a while. He said, you know, I got an idea. You're going to get a divorce anyway. It's going to go through, and in a few months, you're going to be out of this marriage. So do this. Go home and treat him kindly. Compliment him. Every time he does something good, notice that it was good and tell him how good it was. Because after a while, you're going to win his love and win his confidence and then divorce him and it'll really be a harsh blow. She thought, great idea. She went home. She started doing that, telling him he was a great guy, complimenting him for every good deed he did, just pouring on the love. And you know what happened after three months of their marriage? Instead of getting a divorce, the couple went on a second honeymoon. The marriage was restored. There was no divorce at all. And with the children of Israel and God in heaven, though he lists charges against them, and we'll read a couple of them, God's all about restoring them, forgiving them, loving them, 
And he does refer to the nation of Israel as someone that he would divorce. But even the most heinous grounds for a divorce are also the best grounds for forgiveness. And we find that God does that. So let's look at the charges tonight. Let's look at the chance that God gives. And let's look at the changes that happen with the people of Israel. In verse 1, Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. Imagine saying that about the holy land. There's no truth in the holy land. There's no mercy in the holy land. It's become an unholy land because they have turned from the holy God who is to inhabit them in that land. By swearing and lying, killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. Five of the Ten Commandments broken are summed up in that verse. Therefore the land will mourn, and everyone who dwells there will waste away with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, even the fish of the sea, will be taken away. Now let no man contend or rebuke another, for your people are like those who contend with the priest. Therefore you shall stumble in the day, the prophet shall stumble with you in the night, and will destroy. I will destroy your mother." My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will reject you from being priest before me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, also I will forget your children. So the first charge that this prosecuting attorney levels against the people of Israel in a courtroom type setting is that They've stopped learning of God. They've stopped learning of God. Notice verse 1, there is no knowledge of God in the land. Why is that? Verse 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. It's because the leadership failed to pass on the knowledge of God to the people. The leaders didn't teach it. And if the leaders don't teach it, the people won't know it. There's an interesting passage of Scripture way back in Deuteronomy 17, and it's one of the stipulations or the laws for a king in Israel. Listen to this. God said, any king that occupies the throne must hand write a copy of the law of Moses, hand copy it, write it out himself, write it out longhand, so he'll have it next to him so he can read it. This would keep him humble. This would avoid him being too puffed up because he is to be accountable to the God of heaven. But since they stopped learning, they stopped growing. And they stopped learning about God's mercy and God's truth. And so now that they have stopped learning the word, stopped growing in the word, they've stopped that replenishment of truth about God is good, God is merciful, God is holy, all of those principles, they begin to turn inward on themselves. 
As verse 2 highlights all the way down to verse 5, they start tearing one another, attacking one another. Why? Because they haven't gotten good spiritual food. You know, your human body is interesting. If you stop eating, scientists tell us after a while it'll begin to eat itself. You'll go into an advanced state of ketosis. The body will begin to consume itself. And instead of a, a metabolism, it'll be a catabolism. You'll start eating your own self because you're not being nourished. The body of Christ, the church, if we fail to be nourished, what often happens you will see is person against person, group against group, and they attack one another. Paul wrote to the Galatians, Instead of showing love among yourselves, you're always biting and devouring one another. Watch out and beware lest you destroy one another. Now once again, verse 6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now I want you to notice that because that word, knowledge or no, is repeated several times in these chapters. God is saying, I want you to know something. I don't want you to push away knowledge. This is important stuff to understand. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you. Beware of an anti-learning sentiment. Oh, you're a Christian. You don't have to read anything. You don't have to know doctrine or all that stuff. Just sing and love and feel good. Because you have rejected knowledge, God says, I have also rejected you. See, once again, if you stop learning, you stop growing. And when you stop growing, not only do you turn to devour one another, you become very ingrown yourself. Jesus said, learn of me. Peter said, grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The real key, however is as you amass knowledge about God, and don't be afraid of that, but the key is to turn that into knowledge of God. So it's not just facts and figures and eschatology and soteriology and I know more words and Hebrew and Greek. Who cares? It's turning that knowledge about God into knowledge of God to where it's like, ooh, by this vehicle of knowledge of the Word, I'm coming to know the God that I deal with on a personal level. I've always loved that little section of 1 John, where it's sort of like a a family portrait of growth. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. That's about all a new believer knows. I know Jesus. He forgave me of my sins. Great. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We rejoice. But then he gets category number two. I write unto you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And that's always an indication of somebody who's growing in their faith. They're learning the word. They're getting knowledge. But listen to this. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. Now there's the mark of real maturity when you take knowledge about God and turn it into knowledge of God. It's more than just knowing the Word of God. Maturity comes when you know personally the God of the Word. The fathers have walked with the Lord, grown in knowledge. J.I. Packer wrote a book several years ago, one of the first 
great books I ever bought called Knowing God. It's still a classic. I recommend it. Packer in that book writes, Whenever we embark on any line of study in God's holy book, we need to ask ourselves, what is my ultimate aim and object in occupying my mind with these things? What do I intend to do with my knowledge about God once I've gotten it? If we pursue theological knowledge for its own sake, it's bound to go bad on us. It will make us proud and conceited. The very greatness of the subject matter will intoxicate us. But, back to our text. Indictment number one, charge number one. They left the knowledge of God. They stopped learning of God. Second charge, they stubbornly left God. They abandoned Him. They went out on God, you might say, and went after other idols. Verse 11, harlotry, wine, and new wine enslaved the heart. My people ask counsel from their wooden idols, and their staff informs them. For the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray, and they have played the harlot against their God. Now, can you picture this dumb scene? you got a little statue in front of you, and you walk up to it and go, Hi, Bale, how are you today? Oh, not much to say, huh? Well, listen, I need some real help. I have a real dilemma. Could you answer me this question? It'd be very frustrating to speak to an entity that can't speak back to you because that entity isn't even real. It's fake. But the children of Israel have committed harlotry, spiritual adultery, which is they've forsaken God and gone out on God. They're two-timing God, so to speak. They're worshiping other false religious systems. They offer sacrifices on the mountaintops, burn incense on the hills, under oaks, poplars, and terebinths, because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters commit adultery, and your brides commit adultery. Go down to verse 16. For Israel is stubborn like a stubborn calf. Now the Lord will let them forage like a lamb in the open country. And you know, some people are just plain stubborn. And know this, for those who are stubborn, God has ways of pursuing them. God has ways of getting, oh yes, even stubborn people's attention. I've known people that as I looked at their lives, I thought, there's just no way they're ever going to turn to Christ. Ever. Er, er. (laughs) And then I see them years later. Praise the Lord. And I went, oh man. God can do anything. Just like there was Pharaoh who stubbornly said, And who is the Lord? Oh, really? I'm glad you asked, because I'm about to show you, buddy boy. And ten plagues later, he knew. Or Jonah. God said, Go! And he went the other direction. To, it says, I know it sounds absurd, especially for a prophet, to flee from the presence of the Lord. Any prophet ought to know that's impossible. One thing you can't do as a human being including a prophet, is to flee from God's presence. Psalm 139, God's everywhere. Go up to heaven, make my bed in hell. God is everywhere. So, 
God pursued Jonah with some very strong means to get his attention. Or Saul of Tarsus. Saul heard the gospel. He heard Stephen preach it. He didn't want anything to do with it. He decided, not only will I not receive Christ, I'm going to go up to Damascus and find anybody who is calling on the name of Christ, and I'm going to arrest him or kill him. God got his attention on that road. His life was changed forever. So God says to these people that you have stubbornly left the Lord. But, but, but let's bring it down to an attitude for just a moment. Remember that great text in Proverbs chapter 4? It says, keep your heart, your heart with all diligence, for out of it proceed the issues of life. So I ask you tonight, what's the condition of your heart? What, what attitudes that form the real inner core of who you are, that is your heart, what's that like? Do you have a tender heart tonight? Do you have a stubborn heart tonight? Do you have an indifferent heart tonight? Keep your heart with all diligence out of it, proceed the issues of life. So God, through the prophet Hosea, lists the charges like a courtroom scene. Guilty on this count, guilty on that count. So now God sets to break these stubborn hearts. Verse 17, Ephraim is joined to idols, let him alone. Ephraim is the ten northern tribes. Mentioned 36 times in this book. It's the whole nation of Israel, the top ten. Their drink is rebellion. They commit harlotry continually. Her rulers dearly love dishonor. Go down to chapter 5, verse 6. With their flocks and herds, they go to seek the Lord, but they will not find Him. He has withdrawn Himself from them. The princes of Judah are like those who remove a landmark. I will pour out my wrath on them like water. They'd go out and they'd move the boundary stone of property lines, which is tantamount to stealing property that didn't belong to them. Verse 12, Therefore I will be to Ephraim like a moth, and to the house of Judah like rottenness. Verse 14, For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, and like a young lion to the house of Judah. What is God saying? Well, you know what moths do. They eat clothes. And what do lions eat? Flesh. So what God is saying is that there's going to be, in response to your hard-heartedness, there's going to be a response of my making it very hard for you. A level of oppression is coming your way. God is responding to their waywardness. Why? Because God wants to break them. He wants to break them so they'll go, I've had enough breaking. Let's go back to God. There's a story about a woman who was in the Swiss Alps. It was the summertime, and she was watching as a shepherd was keeping his flock. But he noticed that by the shepherd was one little lamb. And that little sheep had its arm, its leg, bound up with a bandage. The woman said... Um, what, what happened to that sheep? And the shepherd said, its leg is broken. Oh, really? How, how did it break its leg? And the shepherd smiled and said, I broke it. Then she took a step backward. And she said, what do you mean you broke it? I thought you were a shepherd. You're to protect sheep. He goes, listen, madam, don't worry about this little sheep. It's going to be just fine. In fact, 
At one time, this sheep was the most wayward sheep in my flock and would lead everybody else astray. In fact, it could lead people or the sheep over cliffs up here in the Alps. It's very dangerous. I've tried to correct it. I've tried to steer it in the right direction to no avail. So I walked up to it and I broke its leg. But don't worry. When that little leg heals, that lamb will become the most docile and obedient sheep in my entire flock. It was really an act of love, though I'm certain that the sheep wasn't convinced of that at the time. You couldn't say, now this is because I love you. But eventually it would benefit the entire flock and especially that little sheep. Look at verse 15. This brings us to our second point. After the charge is given, there's a chance that is given. I will return, God is saying, I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. We are now peering into the very heart of God as we're seeing a God who loves to have a relationship with His people and wants His people to pursue Him. Okay, I'm withdrawing now. I'm going to go to my place. I'm going to wait to see what these people do. I've always loved Jeremiah chapter 2 where God says again to His people, I remember your love, how you went after me in the wilderness. You chased after me. You pursued me. I want that again. That pursuing, diligent kind of love. So this is the final form of judgment. God sends prophets to warn the nation. God sends oppression. God says, I'll come like a moth and then like a lion. And finally, God is withdrawing. This is the worst. I remember as a teenager, I got into a lot of trouble with my dad. And my dad was very diligent at discipline. I'll just leave it at that. It hurt, in other words. But I remember on one occasion, I so broke his heart as a young teenager that he had nothing to say to me. He left me in my room, didn't approach me, didn't talk. And I went to him, and my dad just held up his hand. He said, I have nothing to say to you. That brought me to my knees a lot quicker than any of the previous disciplines he had enacted. Oh, I, did, I wanted that relationship. I can't live like this. So this withdrawing is to break the people to turn back to God. Do you remember what Jesus said to the people in Jerusalem when he stood on the Mount of Olives? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you like a hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. You shall not see me here again. Until you cry, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I'm withdrawing now from the nation. I'm not coming back for a while. You're not going to see me here again until you cry, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I believe the Jewish people at the second coming of Christ, that believing remnant will look up and will say that to Christ at the end of the tribulation. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. So, is he the God of the second chance? Well, don't stop there. He's the God of the third chance and fourth and 4,362nd and keep going. His mercies are new 
every morning, every morning. That means when you woke up today, God had a fresh batch. God looked at you when you woke up today and it was just like, oh man, (laughs) spent it all in one place, did you? Well, Well, I got a fresh batch coming your way. They're new every morning. Isn't that good news? Now, look at the changes. Watch how this tearing, this striking works, how effective it is. Verse 1 of chapter 6. The people say, Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn, but He will heal us. He has stricken, but He will bind us up. After two days He will revive us. On the third day He will raise us up, that we may live in His sight. Haven't you found it interesting that Peter said, one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. So if you think about it, it's been just two days on that time calendar that the Lord has left and withdrawn from the nation of Israel. And I just love this, almost like a little thumbprint the Holy Spirit inserts here, if you tie it together. On the third day, He will raise us up that we may live in His sight. So, here's the point. The affliction has run its course. The disease has so ravaged the people of Israel that they go, Enough! Enough! I'm turning back to the Lord. I'm getting my heart right. I remember when my son Nate was quite young and I had to discipline him. And I hate disciplining my son. But I know he needed it. And the key was always, how do I break his will through discipline without breaking his spirit? I still want him vibrant and alive. I want him to respond in obedience. But a discipline needs to be measured out to break his will. His will has been against my will, and he has to learn to obey But I want to do it in such a way that it doesn't break His Spirit. God's love is like that. It's always balanced. He does both. He tears, it says, and He heals, like a good doctor. If you have a tumor or a burst appendix, the doctor will tear into you with a surgical implement. And you go, that's mean. No, it's not mean. It's necessary. It's done out of love because once the tearing is done and the tumor or the appendix is removed, then the healing process can really begin. So God's love is balanced. And the people of Israel realize it. He is torn, but He's going to heal. Let us know, verse 3, Let us pursue the knowledge of God. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like rain like the latter and the former rain to the earth. Now, I want you to notice a principle that's found here and shows up later in the Scripture. In verse 1, the people say, Come, let us return. In verse 3, they acknowledge, He will come. Hey, let's us come back, because when we do, He will come. That's a scriptural principle. The Bible tells us, In James chapter 4, if you draw near unto God, He will what? Draw near unto you. Now, He's already made the first move in sending His Son, in establishing the possibility of forgiveness, and He's waiting for you to draw near. 
He's waiting for you to seek after him, to pursue him. And he's just waiting there. Because as soon as you make that move, it's like, all right, he lavishes. Come, let us return to the Lord. When we do, he will come. Now compare verse 3 and verse 6, and we'll end on this. Let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Typically, we focus in verse 6 on the first part of that verse because that's the verse that Jesus used in the New Testament when he said to the leaders, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He pulled this out of Hosea and quoted it to the Pharisees. But look at the whole context. Once again, the emphasis on knowledge. Let us know, verse 3, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. Verse 6, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. It seems as though the people at that time in Israel had a worship system where they were emphasizing the outward worship, the intensity of worship, the emotion of worship. They were going through the motions and it was powerful and it was intense and oh yes. God is saying, you know what? Let me make it simple for you. What I really want is that you know me and understand my nature, which is mercy. Could be translated my covenant love. I want you to know who I am and I want you to know my characteristic of love. I bring that up because every generation has a tendency to make the experience more than the knowledge that should be the basis of the experience. You see, sometimes if we think, wow, it was so powerful today or tonight because the way I felt, that can be misleading. Worship, any exercise of worship can be an exercise in self-satisfaction. I know it was good because I felt satisfied. Well, you know, last time I checked, worship is for God. Are we worshiping the right God in the right way that He prescribed? I want knowledge. The knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. James Montgomery Boyce, he's now in heaven said, we do not have a strong church today, nor do we have many strong Christians. We can trace the cause to an acute lack of sound spiritual knowledge. Ask the average Christian to talk about God. After getting past the expected answers, you will find that his God is a little God of vacillating sentiments. I write to you children, your sins have been forgiven. Great place to start. But then you grow. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the Word of God abides in you. I write to you, fathers, because you have known Him who is from the beginning. That progression of the knowledge about God turned into the personal, relational knowledge of God. Now, four times in the New Testament, four different occasions, Jesus asks spiritual leaders this question. Have you not read? And then he follows it with a quote. 
That's an interesting question to ask a spiritual leader. Hey, spiritual leader, do you ever read the Bible? Good thing to read. There's truth in there. There's knowledge of God in there. And then Paul said on a couple of occasions, Brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And interesting, the two things he said he didn't want us ignorant of was of the coming of the Lord and spiritual gifts. And I've discovered those are the two greatest areas of ignorance among believers. I want you to grow. I want you to know these things. That's why we want you to know the Word. That's why when we teach the Word, we want to plow deeply and mine out all of the truths of the Scripture through background and language and custom and give you a full grasp of it. Because truly, I want you to be the best fed and best loved congregation in the state of New Mexico. So, Paul says, Then be no longer children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men. You are what you eat. The charge... You've left the knowledge of God. you pushed it away. You've stubbornly left God for other gods. The chance, I'm going to kick back a while and, and see if in their misery they don't turn to me. The change, come, let us return to the Lord. He is stricken, but now He will heal. We don't like discipline. We hate it. The Bible tells us, Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens, and He scourges every son whom He receives. Have you ever seen a brat? You know what a brat is. You know what a brat is? A brat is a child left to himself. That's it. You leave a child, let it go. Do whatever it wants. And you will have, I will guarantee you 100%, a full-fledged, card-carrying brat. (laughs) Let it go. No discipline. No involvement. You can always tell a brat because something happens inside of you when you're around them. (laughs) You're thinking, you know what? If those parents aren't going to enact discipline, I'd like to. (laughs) And you can't do that, but you'd like to. It's part of our fallen nature, I suppose. But God uses it. God uses the discipline because He doesn't want us to be spiritual brats. He doesn't want us to be spiritual brats. C.S. Lewis put it this way, Pain plants the flag of truth in the fortress of of a rebel soul. Isn't that good? Pain plants the flag of truth in the fortress of a rebel soul. You know what David said? Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. So the people of Israel, they got it right. All of the hard, striking, and discipline worked. And they said, come, let's go back to the Lord. Let's seek the Lord. Let's seek the knowledge of the Lord. Let's give Him all of our hearts, all of our soul, all of our strength. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father... The next 25 minutes of time will be a time of worship, a time in your word, 
to meditate upon your word, what we have just heard. It's a time, Lord, when we're going to take the elements that speak of your broken body and shed blood. It brings us to the very core foundation, the simplicity of it all. That Jesus Christ left heaven, came to this earth, died on the cross, paid for our sins, rose from the dead, and can turn to anyone and say, you can have eternal life. We pray, Father, that as we get back to that basic truth, there would be a fresh appreciation for what you've done for us. And if, Lord, there's something that has blocked our way towards you, that we would push it out of the way. If we've gone out on you, if we've entertained other gods, other values, other lords have captured our attention, that we've placed higher than you, we pray that we would say, Come, let's return to the Lord. He is stricken, but he will heal. Some of us, Lord, are facing discipline. We've been right in the middle of it. We pray, Lord, that you would encourage the faint-hearted, bind up the broken-hearted, heal, pour in your salve, and make us responsive, obedient, loving sheep in your flock. In Jesus' name. Amen. Before we take the elements in an attitude of both worship and one of analyzing our own hearts, as we examine ourselves, as the New Testament tells us to do, as we ask God to search us, to try us, to know our hearts, our ways, to reveal if there's anything in us, that is wicked and needs confession. We're told to, under examination, to confess our sins to God. And it could be that you've never really given your life to Christ. You've never personalized a relationship with Him. Maybe you've never invited Him in as Savior and your personal Lord. If that's the case, then right where you're sitting, you can do that. And say from your heart to Him, I give you my life, Lord. I turn it over to you. I turn from my past and my sin. And I turn to you. I believe Jesus died for me on the cross and rose for me from the dead. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to live a life pleasing to you. In Jesus' name. And then if there's just any other things that are impeding you and your relationship with Him, take a moment. Talk to Him about it. Heavenly Father, we just lift this evening up to You. It's all about You and the love that you gave us on the cross. So, Lord, as we take this communion, we ask that we move forward towards you, 
Lord's love. In your son's holy name, amen. Let's take the bread. Lord Jesus, creator of everything we know about and everything that we don't understand, we come before you tonight childish, selfish, foolish, so unworthy to be here. But that's why we come, Lord, for you to wash us clean, to give us a brand new start so that we can greet tonight and tomorrow with hope and joy and the belief that you will be with us soon. We praise you and we thank you as we drink this cup, symbolizing the blood that you shed to wash away our sins. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.